Well, good morning. morning. Welcome to Zion on this 18th Sunday after Pentecost. It's wonderful to see all of you, whether or not you're worshiping with us for the first time or you're a lifelong member. We're happy you're here. It's great to see all of you after being at the beach for a week. And the beach is nice, but it's not Lafayette, Ohio, that's for sure. Happy, happy to be back with you all. few things to run through. First, newsletters are in your mailboxes this Sunday, so if you haven't picked it up, please do so before you leave. Uh, In your newsletter, you'll find invitations for Harvest Home on October 17th, so please plan to be here that Sunday with us as we give God thanks for all the wonderful things he's done for us. There's also a note that's gone out. It'll be in a newsletter. It's on Facebook. Next week will be Communion Sunday, and the plan is to return completely to our regular practices during the service and during Communion. Uh, So we'll be back to sharing the peace, uh, back to having the Common Cup available for those who wish to receive from the Common Cup uh, and receiving at the altar rail. So just so you're prepared, we will, God willing, return to normal next Sunday. I also have a couple of prayer requests this morning. First, for Tom Hartford, former member here who's in the hospital in Toledo. Uh, Please keep him in your prayers. Also, please pray for Maddox Hardesty, who's 13 months old, uh, recently diagnosed with a brain tumor who's having surgery in Cleveland on Tuesday. So again, that's Maddox Hardesty. Please keep him and that family in your prayers. Are there other announcements or other prayer requests for the congregation? Yeah, Mary. If there are no other announcements for the congregation, I'll invite you to take a moment to prepare for worship by listening to the prelude. Congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name.
name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let's confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. Lord 
for this holy house and for all who offer here their worship and praise. Let us pray to the Lord. Help save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest, and peace to God's people on earth. Generous God, your Son gave his life that we might come to peace with you. Give us a share of your Spirit, and in all we do, empower us to bear the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. The first reading is from Numbers. The rabble among them had a strong craving, and the Israelites also wept again and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families all at the entrances of their tents. Then the Lord became very angry and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you treated your servants so badly? Why have I not found favor in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a sucking child to the land that you promised on oath to their ancestors? Where am I to get meat to give all this people? For they come weeping to me and say, Give us meat to eat. I am not able to carry all this people alone, for they are too heavy for me. If this is the way you are going to treat me, put me to death at once, if I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my misery. So the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them. Bring them to the tent of meeting and have them take their place there with you. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord. And he gathered 70 elders of the people and placed them all around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. Two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses, one of his chosen men said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. The word of the Lord. 
we will say responsibly Psalm 19. <clears throat> the, the teaching of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and gives wisdom to the simple. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. By them also is your servant enlightened, and in keeping them there is great reward. <coughs> Above all, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not get dominion over me. Then shall I be whole and sound and innocent of a great offense. The second reading is from James. Are any among you suffering? they should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray, pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up. And anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain and the earth yielded its harvest. My brothers and sisters, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and is brought back by another, you should know that whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save the sinner's soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. The word of the Lord. Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell, to unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. The Gospel of our Lord. Fight you to be seated, children. Fight you to come forward. All right, question for you How many of you play soccer? 
Yeah, I knew it was gonna be most of you, that's why I asked. So in soccer, I think there are two basic jobs in soccer. There's offense and there's defense. That's true in every sport, right? There's offense and there's defense in every sport. What's the job of the offense? Yeah, get a goal, score points, right? Score points for yourself or for the team. That's what the offense does, scores points. What does the defense do? Right, take, a, take the ball away from the other team to prevent them from scoring, right? Because in the game, you want to have more points than the other team, so you try to score points, and then you try to keep the other team from scoring, right? Well, I think in our gospel lesson this morning, I think we see some offense-defense going on. And here's what I mean. So the story starts off, the disciples see a man who's casting out demons in the name of Jesus. But this man is kind of a stranger to them. They don't know him. Right? He's not following them. And so they go and they try to stop him. They try to play defense. Right? They're trying to stop him from doing something for the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells them, no. Basically, Jesus is saying, I don't want you to play defense for me. Instead, I want you to play offense for me. Right? And so he says, even if you give a glass of water to someone in my name, you are doing a great work for the kingdom of God. You're doing something very important, right? In soccer, you don't score a lot of goals in soccer usually, right? And so usually one or two players are in the best position to score most of the goals. Uh, but the offense, sometimes it's passing, it's good positioning, it's getting that good corner kick, it's having that good throw, and it's all these little things that make up the offense. Well, in the same way, Jesus says it's little acts of faith that are important in God's kingdom. That's the offense to living the Christian life, right? Being kind to one another, being at peace with one another, offering someone a glass of water when they're thirsty, saying something nice to someone when they're having a bad day, doing all these little things in the name of Jesus, that's what it is to play offense for the kingdom of God. And so we shouldn't worry so much about our defense. Don't worry so much about what other people are doing. Start with your offense. Start with doing something for others. All right, let's pray. Lord, help us to love one another, to be at peace with one another, and to follow you. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. But there's a fun little poem by Robert Frost, you might remember from school, maybe not, but called Mending Wall. So in the poem, the speaker and his neighbor are walking along a stone fence line, as they do every year, and they're repairing any stones that have dislodged from the fence. Well, the speaker in the poem, as they walk, wonders, why is there a wall there anyway? It predates him. It's been there for generations. There's no livestock to keep in. On one side of the fence is the speaker's apple orchard, and on the other is the neighbor's pine grove. There's no risk of one overtaking the other, so we ask, why the wall? The, ne the neighbor, hearing the question, repeats a saying he learned from his father. Good fences make good neighbors. But why do good fences make good neighbors? The speaker wonders. What are we walling in? What are we walling out? Who are we trying to keep out? And without much thought, the neighbor again says, kind of blankly, good fences make good neighbors. Well, the idea that good fences make good neighbors is a bit of a paradox. In some ways, it's true if we unpack it. We all can get along better if we know the boundaries of our relationships, if we respect each other as individuals, pay attention to what makes each of us unique, we'll be good neighbors. But it's also true that a good neighbor is not one who never crosses the fence. If you stay behind your wall, You'll never be a neighbor at all. You'll be a solitary individual. 
So to be a good neighbor is to be willing to leave the boundary of your wall and to meet your neighbor on their land. There's a need to both embrace the limits of boundaries, of fences, of walls, but at the same time to reject that the boundaries are universal. Boundaries can give definition. They can allow for individuals to be individuals. <clears throat> a border around your garden can separate the plants you want from the weeds you don't want. But on the other hand, boundaries can be overly exclusive. They can be self-serving. Boundaries can turn us into old men who yell at children to get off their lawns. But our gospel lesson touches on this theme this morning. In this lesson, we see that the kingdom of God is both universal, it exists, and it even thrives outside of our narrow boundaries. But it's also particular because it's in the name of Christ that defines the boundary of the kingdom in this world. And so there's a warning in this text about how we define the church, but also a promise to those who define themselves by the name of Christ. So at the beginning of our lesson in verse 38, the Apostle John tells Christ that the twelve had just stopped a man from casting out demons in Jesus' name. And the word used for stopping here in Greek is the word that's used when a Roman tribunal vetoed a law. The disciples were vetoing this man. They were telling him, no, your ministry is not approved by us. Vetoed. And ironically, it seems that John's telling Jesus this because he thinks Jesus is going to approve. He wants Jesus to tell him what a good thing they did. And John tells Jesus that they are vetoing this man because the man was not following us. He was not following us. That's quite the tell, isn't it? How did John define the boundaries of the kingdom? What wall did he put around the kingdom? For John, it seems, those in the kingdom are those who follow us. That is, who follow both Jesus and the twelve. Us. Well, that's interesting, because the call of the gospel was always from Jesus to follow me. Follow Jesus. Follow me was the boundary that marked what it meant to be part of the kingdom. You'll remember in Mark chapter 1, Jesus calls his first disciples, Andrew, Peter, James, and John, and he tells them, follow me. In Mark 2, Jesus goes out to the seaside. He sees Levi, the son of Alphaeus, the tax collector, and he says to him, follow me. He doesn't say to Levi, follow me and Peter and James and John, but he says, follow me. In Mark 8, which we heard just a couple Sundays ago, Jesus says to the crowd and to his disciples, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Follow Jesus. That's been the call of Christ throughout the Gospel of Mark. Follow me. And now John and the disciples have perverted it. They've changed it, right? They say, don't follow Christ. Rather, they criticize this man because he wasn't following us. The disciples, in their criticism of this man, they've made the kingdom of God about themselves. And it's not hard to imagine why. The twelve disciples were important. They're close to Jesus. They spend a lot of time with him. They're the ones who have a special commission, a special job to go out into the world and preach. James and John and Peter saw Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. There's no question that they have special insight and special callings. And in their mind, well, that deserves respect. If this man wants to cast out demons, that's all well and good, but he needs to get it approved by us. He needs to spend time with us. We're the ones who know what's up. But in worrying about their positions of authority and their special status, they forget what the good news is all about. The good news is about Christ. The good news is about the forgiveness and healing and identity given to us through Jesus. And the good news that they are to share with the world, it's not centered around them. It's centered around the name of Christ. And the disciples miss it because they're so hung up on themselves, their uniqueness, their power, their authority. Well, how often are we guilty 
of the same sin as the disciples. How often do we want to make church, make our faith, make this congregation, make our relationships other, something other than proclaiming the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ? I came across a quote from a Southern Baptist author, Tom Rayner, who says in one of his books, when the preferences of the church members are greater than their passion for the gospel, the church is dying. That's the definition of a dying church, right? It's not that the church is small, not that the membership is older, not that there aren't financial resources. That doesn't define a church. A church begins to die when it gathers around something other than the gospel when it begins to gather in something other than the name of Christ. And so as a congregation, as people of faith, there's always a need to come back to whatever we do and ask. Are we doing this in the name of Jesus, or are we doing this because it serves us? I heard the story of an older, faithful Lutheran lady who was absolutely dead set against adopting the green hymnals in the early 80s. The congregation had voted and decided to slowly transition from the red service book and hymnal. And they decided that they were going to get used to the green LBW. Well, she was so mad about the transition that she would come to church and sit in the narthex the whole service. She came to church. She was not going to miss church. But she wasn't singing those updated hymns. She wasn't using that language. She had in mind that the church was one thing. It was the liturgy of the red book. That's what she knew, that's what she preferred, and there could be no Lutheranism without it. Well, worship became about her preference, what she knew. It wasn't first about asking if Christ was central in their worship. Well, we can all get caught up in our positions. We can all get caught up in what we think we know. We can put on blinders. We can think we know God's kingdom. We can think we know the boundaries of God's kingdom. But the kingdom can surprise us. And what's surprising is that God's mission to the world is so often accomplished when we act in the name of Jesus. No matter how small and insignificant that action is, as long as it is in the name of Jesus, God promises to use it. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 41. For truly I tell you, Whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. Even the simplest, smallest act done for the sake of Christ has eternal benefits. But it's when that act is done for Christ, when it's done in his name. The direction of the action is not about a person benefiting themselves, but about participating in Christ's love for the world. And it doesn't take heroic acts, it doesn't take the rich and powerful. Rather, it takes faithful acts. Faithful acts done in the name of Christ. And so we have to look up at the fences we put up in our lives and ask if those fences are put up in the name of Jesus or in the name of ourselves. The fence that the disciples were putting up around Jesus' ministry, it was self-centered. It was clearly about preserving their power and their authority. It was not about Christ, nor was it about loving their neighbor. They were interested in hoarding the power of the kingdom for their own status. They didn't cheer that in the name of Jesus the person was healed. Rather, they were threatened. What this gospel teaches us is that the correct fence we are to have is Christ. We define our boundaries by Christ. We don't define our boundaries based on our preferences, based on power, based on money, based on pleasures of this world, but our boundaries, our lives, our relationships, they have to first be defined by Christ. And when we define our lives through Christ, we then must define them through the cross. Jesus, in the Gospels, is the king who's determined to go to the cross to bring the riches of heaven to the world. He does not need a company of men who are just interested in maintaining their own power. Rather, he calls them to pick up their cross and to follow him. To give up everything for the sake of God, for the sake of their neighbor. And so the fence to put around your own heart is Christ. The boundary that defines how you relate to your family is Christ. The vocation, the calling you have in your community 
is Christ. We don't define ourselves as exclusive people, self-serving people. Rather, we define ourselves as people who act in the name of Jesus. In the name of Christ, you go about your daily activities. In the name of Christ, you pick up your kids from school. You go to work. You go to your grandchildren's games. You spend time with your friends. And in the name of Christ, you are careful about how you might limit the Lord's work. God was working through a man who was not following the disciples. Christ says God will work through someone giving a mere glass of water. Don't limit how God will work in you and through you. Through your simple acts, through your simple prayers, through your simple faith, God will work through you. And it doesn't matter that you don't have all the right words. It doesn't matter that you don't have all the theological training doesn't matter that you don't know all the answers. In your simple faith, God will act through you. It doesn't matter that you have sins in your past that weigh you down. Because Christ has offered forgiveness to you. Christ is calling you to follow him. And in his name, to show the goodness of God to the world. Don't get caught up in any boundary, any fence, any wall that isn't shaped by God's love for this world. Amen. you to stand together we confess our faith using the Apostles Creed I believe in God the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth I believe in Jesus Christ God's only Son our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate was crucified died and was buried he descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. 
Now let us pray for the whole church of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, keep us from craving and weeping after what we no longer possess, but instead give us contentment in the daily bread you so graciously rain down upon us. Lord, in your mercy. Cause your Holy Spirit to rest upon all ministers in your church, that they may prophesy your word publicly and faithfully among us, and we, in turn, may speak your word in our homes and vocations. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, bless our elders and church council with the necessary gifts of your spirit, that they may faithfully serve the congregation and support those who minister in your church and uphold the ministry of the word amongst us. Lord, in your mercy. Send forth your spirit, Father, over all couples who desire the gift of children, that they may be fruitful and bring up children in your fear and knowledge, and that those who are without children and those who are single may serve your children throughout their vocations. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, uphold all those in authority over us, including Joseph, our president, Richard Michael, our governor, and all those who serve in law enforcement who bear the sword in our land, that sin and wickedness may be kept at bay, and we may live peaceably lives in security. Lord, in your mercy. Save and raise up those who are suffering or sick, especially Kara, Nancy, Roger, Mike, Troy, Donald, Donna, Ray, Jack, Nancy, Dwight, John, Marilyn, Tom, Ken, Rose, Tony and Carolyn, Carolyn, Maddox, the family, and all of those who grieve the loss of Wes. Lord, in your mercy. God of the living, to you all are alive. We give thanks for those who have died in the faith. Give us joy in knowing that our Redeemer lives and that we will be united with the faithful in a resurrection like the Lord's. Lord, in your mercy. All of these things and whatever else you know that we need, grant us, dear Father, for the sake of him who died and rose again and now lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you always. I'm going to ask you to come forward and help us with our noisy coin offering this morning.
you. Dump it in here. Great job. Thank you. Merciful Father, we offer with joy and thanksgiving what you have first given us, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of him who offered himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit bless you now and forever. Amen.
peace. Serve the Lord.